Welcome to the Rediscovery Podcast. I'm Bernice, and I'm here with my husband, Eli. Hi. And Tyler Miller. Hiya. And we are going to talk about stuff. Welcome to the Rediscovery Podcast. I'm your host, Bernice. This podcast exists to celebrate the journey of discovery and learning and to share the stories of those who we can all be learning from. One note before I get into what we're going to talk about today, the show is officially moving to a bi-weekly format. Do I love making a podcast? Yes. Love sharing it with you? You bet. But finding the space and time to record these conversations around all of our kids' schedules, plus the time that goes into editing and research, is not easy to do while working and raising a family. I love doing this, and making the show bi-weekly makes it much more sustainable for us. Today, I'm excited to share a three-way conversation with you. Friends of the show may remember Tyler from episode two, and you should certainly remember my husband, Eli. Tyler has been wanting to talk about how we think about heaven and earth. So he's back, and we're spending a lot of time on that topic today. As if that wasn't enough, we're also going to talk about how our relationship with God has changed after having kids, what does it mean to think of God as a father, and how our theology impacts our parenting. I have to admit, the last topic we explored got me a little bit fired up. I actually think that I raised my voice a little bit. <laughs> While I care deeply about all the topics we explore and the stories that we share on this podcast, this issue of women's roles and what the Bible says about what women are and aren't allowed to do is one that I'm particularly passionate about. A friend of the show wrote in to ask us to consider, is it possible that Paul was somewhat sexist? And we really get into it. So without any further ado, here's our grab bag conversation. Remember, if you have questions or topics you'd like to have us explore, reach out and let us know. We're happy to do it. stuff that I want to talk about, but I don't know. How's your life? How are your lives? Uh, much different than the last time I talked. Yeah, you haven't been here in a minute. Yeah, I haven't been anywhere in a minute except home. It's felt like, you know, I've only been doing, so I started taking classes for um, computer programming. It's only been four days, but I feel like I've been at it for four months. Mm. A lot just, of stuff. just trapped at home, information fire hose been crazy so yeah i'm very thankful to get out of the house when i did my doula training it got moved digital because of covid and i sat on a zoom call for eight hours a day three days in a row and by the end of it i just felt like like my brain is limp noodles yeah that sounds dreadful and my body was so sore i didn't think that my bed could be so uncomfortable until i spent 24 extra hours on it i totally understand like I feel like I get people who've worked from home now. I like, I realized it had been like a couple days since I showered. I'm like, I, there's no like real reason. I'm not like getting like sweaty and dirty like I was at my previous job. And there's no like rhythm for me to like, all right, I come home, I take a shower. So I just like wasn't showering. I would like miss meals and it's like four o'clock. I'm like, I didn't eat lunch. What am I doing? So yeah, some insight there. <laughs> I don't think that I've ever missed a meal and not realized it. <laughs> yeah, that's not true. <laughs> you definitely. 
In the fog of having a newborn, that's different. Yeah. But like... You said you All never the other missed time. a meal, and I'm like, I've definitely come home from work, and you're just like, why do I feel sad? I'm like, did you eat lunch? What's <laughs> <laughs> this hunger test. feel like? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, babies keep you busy. Well, have you guys ever heard of the Bible Project? <laughs> yes, I have. No, what's that? What? Where have you been? For the past five years. <laughs> Was it Sean who first showed it to us? I found out about it. I don't remember how. I wasn't really friends with Sean. I was... I don't think... We were not even dating. Um, I was a... I don't think. I was a youth leader desperate for content. And that's how I found them. Did you discover them first? I have no idea. I cannot remember I have actually heard about them. I have a Google Drive document with the Heaven and Earth, which was their first video. Yeah, the workbook. Yeah, the workbook. I have Uh that Google Drive document. Mm Mm-hmm. And I saved it. And I remember watching it at Jeff's house because that's where um, youth group was at the oh, time. Yeah. We were having youth night at Jeff's house and we watched the videos. Over there, I, that's so. the first video that I remember too. Was it their first video that they made, released? I'm pretty sure it was either that or The Law. Heaven and Earth or The Law was the first one they did. I think it was Heaven and Earth. That was the Because th- they did theme videos. Yeah. Well, The Law was a theme video. The Law. Oh, not the okay. Torah. The Law. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah, somebody from Bible Project, I'm sure, who listens to this podcast, uh, send us a, just send us, let us know. I'm sure we can just go on their YouTube and check. We, we totally could. But I think that all of us would say the Bible Project has been a pretty big influence in how we have learned how to study the Bible, how we've learned how to approach our, like, we all identify that, like, our spirituality is a Christian spirituality. I think that the Bible Project has been pretty formative for all of us. Is we've kind of been growing up and learning how to read the Bible for ourselves. Yeah, definitely has. We have the coffee table book, which is just like they, for those who are not familiar with the Bible Project, they have a series of videos where they're like eight to ten minutes on average, I think, and they just explain each book of the Bible. Um, mm-hmm. They kind of break it down and they outline it and they explain it and they're animated videos and. For me, they're very easy to follow along with and understand, but I just learn so much. Um, a couple weeks ago, we released an episode on here on the book of James, and I watched their James video probably four times. And I mean, obviously, like, I, I read the book of James first. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not, I'm not encouraging you guys mm-hmm. all. Yeah. Just watch the Bible Project, mm-hmm. and then you don't have to read the Bible. But, like, for me, it was really helpful to understand, like, you know, what's the context? What What is happening? What's the outline of this book, and how can I best understand how to apply it? Yeah, and wouldn't you say, like, what, they're, what they really excel at is showing, like, here are some of the key things that make this book unique and what's going on on, like, a micro scale, but then in, like, the macro of, like, what's going on in the whole... Where does this fit in with the whole Bible? Yeah. They really do a good job of bringing those two things together and not yeah. getting too caught up in the weeds and the debates that like in some of the finer points in the books yeah so they're they really focus on the idea that the bible is a unified story that leads to jesus that's a direct quote it's on all their videos yeah all their podcasts they've said it enough times that it's planted (laughs) in my brain (laughs) but it's true and i think that i kind of grew up with this kind of cobbled together version of the bible that was this like almost like a patchwork where i knew maybe what each of the patches looked like but I did not, I couldn't see the quilt. Like, I couldn't see the whole, like, I couldn't see the whole picture of, like, how, how does Samson have anything to do with Moses, have anything to do with Isaiah and Jesus? 
It's like I, don't, I didn't understand. I had this. I like I had these stories that were just disjointed in my brain. And I think the Bible Project was really helpful for me, beginning to see the Bible as a work of literature, as a work of art, um, like and divinely inspired. But that doesn't make it less than a work of literature. Mm-hmm. And that it's worth our study. It's worth our time. So. I think one of the first videos, and we'll come back around to the topic of that video, was the heaven and earth video. And for me, it just really struck a chord that there are people who want to learn with me, like me. And I I was just really excited about it. I think I've probably seen 80% of the videos since then. Everyone's nodding at me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, yeah, they can't see that. (laughs) But Tyler, you said a couple weeks ago that you wanted to talk about kind of the concept of heaven and earth. Yeah. um, Obviously, it's something that's important. I think everybody has a... Yeah, um, what is, what is, like, what, what are, what's the framework for, like, what's this heaven and earth conversation? How do we even start that? Yeah, so I don't think that there's a human alive that when they hear heaven and earth, they don't have kind of something already, like there's a framework for that in most people's minds. Um, And a lot of those people would say that they are Christians and that they believe the Bible, but they're not necessarily pulling those ideas from the Bible, if that makes any sense. The framework that they've built into these concepts of heaven and earth are not from the Bible. And then also on top of that those those concepts that we have they're going to change the way we live our life Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of a big picture view of like why this is important to me and you can get into that a little bit more what did you guys grow up thinking that heaven was going to be like Hmm. i mean i was always kind of told it's just the best for a better version of all the best things about like life now right like that's, ice cream okay. is gonna that's be even distil- better that's, that's what you grew distil- up with yeah that's what i grew up with. okay essentially i think that's that's a very distilled version yeah i think my understanding would be like if you enjoy hiking then it'll be <laughs> like the best hiking <laughs> but even better. the best hiking ever <laughs> yeah. you know just like whatever you enjoy doing is what you're gonna be doing as long as you know, like it. Yeah, there's no mosquitoes there's, either. Right, it's all of all the bad stuff gone. All the good stuff, even better. That's kind yeah. of what I was told. I I didn't even get that picture until like because I went through probably stages and different phases of what it was like. So I was more I was educated by a lot of children's books that had like, you know, in the clouds, big pearly gates kind of thing. That's mm-hmm. what I grew up with. That's what I grew up with, too. I thought that we went to heaven and became angels and we sang worship all day. But back, like, I didn't ha- I didn't know that worship songs existed. So I just thought we sang holy, holy, holy forever. <laughs> just those two yeah. words? Yes, Somehow, that's what I thought it was. Probably was like, in English. Yeah, obviously. That was my... <laughs> I would probably have to switch to Latin for a little bit. A little song to song to yep. song to <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I thought the Bible said about it because I didn't have, like, a robust picture of the bible yeah and you know i don't want to necessarily just slam people who maybe that's like where they are or they like just very recently were there um you know there's there are strong reasons why that has been so ingrained in us um 
there's there's it's kind of built into the way our culture talks about it um, the way we teach other people about it um, it's it's just kind of a part of it but it's it's not necessarily accurate to the Bible says and you know the thing is the interesting thing is I think that we kind of want and to have a very clear defined um, like description of exactly what heaven is going to be like and part of the problem is the Bible doesn't necessarily give us all of the specific details um, about what heaven's going to be like would yeah. you you'd agree with that? I would agree right? with that I think that when I was in high school, I started getting introduced to people who um, really wanted to understand the book of Revelation. And so I remember people debating about like the city's measurements and well, was it square? And does that mean only so many people are allowed to go? Cubicle. Yeah. <laughs> and I just couldn't understand. Yeah, I maybe couldn't if we visualize up. it hard enough, it will right. just manifest. Right. I didn't get it. And I, I, for a long time, I actually really avoided the book of Revelation because all of that like stuff from high school was so like overwhelming to me when I thought about it. I thought, well, if that's what the book of Revelation is like, yeah. I am not going to read it. Not going to mm. happen. It was pretty charged and pretty like colored by, because I've read the Left Behind series when I was a kid. Oh, wow. When I was like in high, junior high and high school, I went through the whole, I read all of I think there's 13 Jeez. books. Did you like read two the, prequels? Did you read the adult and, ones or the junior ones? Oh, I read all of them. There's like 40 young adult ones too. Because they're read skinny. The adult wow. and the young adult ones. The only I thing I can think of when I think of Left Behind at this point is Nick Cage. Because oh, I never I experienced the books. Seen it, but I need to. I need that. I need that change. Yeah. Um, so I guess the to me it would never really actually like. I would have said that I was a Christian or a believer, whatever you want to call it, because it was the right thing to do, but not because I was excited about this idea or concept of heaven, because if heaven to me was just like, we're going to be up in the clouds, just floating around singing all the time. I was like, that doesn't really sound like something I want to do, but I'm going to keep doing this. Kind of lame. Yeah, it kind of sounds a little (laughs) bit lame um, to me. And I was like, why are people excited about this? Um, it sounds better than the alternative. It does. Yeah, and yeah. that's where I was going with that. It's improvement like, on the alternative. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so where do these concepts come from? Yeah, Why? it does. I mean, I think that a lot of our understanding of hell culturally, I, I mean, not necess- a lot of the way that we think about hell is cultural and not biblical. I think that. Um, a lot of the way we talk about hell, think about hell, Think about the devil. Like, if I think about the devil, I just automatically picture he's red. He has that little tail with a spiky point. And I know, obviously. A trident. A trident. That's not a real picture, but that's just the culturally... Like, that's what what my brain just gives me because that's the culture that we live in. And I I know that I have to fight against that. Um, I, I think that our view of hell is largely informed by Dante's Inferno. Um... The, a classical work which talks about yeah. hell and what that's like that I've never read. I know about. I, yeah. I, I've read outlines of. But I think a lot of what we think about hell actually can be traced back to that and not the Bible when yeah. we're talking Here, about culture. give a little bit of a breakdown of what Dante's Inferno is? Yeah, why don't you? Yeah, well, I mean, 
So Dante's Inferno is actually the first part of a three part. There's these epic poems. There's Inferno, Purgatory, and Paradise. Um, basically what, what Dante is envisioning is he has it. He has himself as a character who has a dream where he is led by these different people through, first through hell, then through, because he's Catholic, he gets led through purgatory and then eventually up into paradise, into heaven. So he kind of gets to experience and see what, what's going on with all these people who have already died. Um, so the Inferno is actually, like, it's just that. It's like, he goes in and there's all these people. It's arranged in these layers based on the, the how, how bad of sins like people with different sins are in different layers of hell and they're all being like tormented in different ways that mm-hmm. have, that are like poetically uh, I don't know, it's like poetic justice or it's like w- the way they're being punished is like proportionate to what they did so it's interesting epi- and then it, there's these epic poems that who even who was Dante I don't yeah he was um, Italian he was, he was an Italian philosopher poet hmm. I, don't, I don't really did know he write any him. other major works and that's what he's well known for i don't know anything else that he wrote <laughs> yeah interesting well that one stuck with us it has yeah i mean it, what it what it really has done is, is after dante wrote inferno there's a lot of renaissance art that in is inspired by it so mm-hmm. we get a lot of the visuals of that, that are really recognizable to us now were inspired by the writing that Dante did on the, on the, yeah. on hell. Then um, all these Renaissance painters painted what he had written about. Yeah. And that's where we get these, these pictures, which carried a lot like those painters and art, like all those artists carried a ton of cultural weight for centuries. Like that was their very primary source of media mm-hmm. for a long time. So we have this, cultural understanding of heaven and hell that is not super biblical maybe what is a biblical view and we're really i I want us today to talk about what's a biblical view of heaven and heaven and earth Mm, oh you're pointing at me i see (laughs) okay um so i think a good place to start is in genesis 1 as it is with most things in the bible most most things you want to talk about in the Bible, a good place to start is the beginning of the Bible. That's a song, right? Uh, yeah, very we good. start at the very beginning, the very best place to start. It's uh, That's the sound of music, right? It's either Sound of Music or Mary Poppins. It's Julie Andrews. Wow, Julie. wow. I wasn't channeling Julie Andrews, Julie Andrews there. <laughs> that wasn't my intent. But, um, but yeah, I think that's a very important place to start. And... Um, because it, what it's doing is, I mean, so if we are going to look, talk about the Bible, which I guess we probably should at some point, right? Uh, it's important to understand uh, that the Bible builds on itself. You don't have these little isolated pieces. And so every subsequent author is building upon the ideas of the one who came before them because they grew up with this literature and out of that literature flowed um, more. And so we start at the beginning, we talk about how God created, and he created a good, uh, he created the heavens and the earth, and he said that they were good. So that's where we start. So it's not referring to heaven as a spiritual realm, or is it? 
Um, see, you're going to have people that have differing views on this. <laughs> um, but I would say that heavens and the earth would be both referring to physical places. Yeah. In Genesis 1. In like, Genesis 1, yeah. The author of Genesis 1 is not referring to heaven as a yeah. spiritual realm, but he's referring to the heavens as in the yes. sky above. Yeah, heavens being like a plural term referring to like the sky above. Yeah, like you're saying. And ancient Hebrew peoples didn't have the same scientific understanding of the world that we have. So, and correct me if I remember this wrong. But I think that I remember that uh, is Professor Doctor Tim Mackey. Doctor. Doctor. He has doctor. a PhD, right? Mm-hmm. That makes him a He's doctor. A, I mean, he was a professor too. I don't yeah. know if he still is, but Tim Mackey. Doctor supersedes professor. I think you can be a professor yeah. without being a doctor. I think he intentionally doesn't use doctor though, so he doesn't sound fancy schmancy. Pretty sure John introduces him as Doctor Tim Mackey sometimes, just to get yeah. under his skin. <laughs> <laughs> but Tim Mackey, who is the lead researcher for the Bible Project organization um, in that first video on heaven and earth really outlined that a Hebrew perspective on heavens was that they kind of viewed what they saw as a three-tiered heaven. So there was the sky that you see, then there was the, the waters above, and then there was like this cap, which to us, you know, sounds completely unscientific. Like what waters above? But... That becomes important in the flood narrative when the waters above and the waters below both Mm -hmm. come into play. But that's not what I think when I see the word heaven. I don't think of the sky. I I have to be intentional about remembering when I'm reading Genesis 1 that I need to let my 21st century American worldview fall away and I need to try to read it and try to understand the perspective that the author had. Mm-hmm. rather than kind of take it out of its context and put it into my context where heaven means something very different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's difficult to do that. Um, I think the, part of the problem is that uh, there is a language barrier. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're dealing with that constantly throughout the Bible. Um, you know, remember, remember anything that we're reading as actually pretty much anybody whoever listens to this is going to be reading the Bible through somebody else's eyes. Yeah. We are reading through translations, you know, that's just the technical term for, you know, some of us use an NIV Bible. Some of us use a CSB or a what's ESV. We all have these different translations of the Bible that we favor and the translation committees of those Bibles do show their theological hand. Mm-hmm. Like there are different instances in the text where we see yeah. that an organization has a predetermined conclusion about a theology, which they, yeah, it's never like an essential theology. Right. And most of the time it's probably, it's probably not to be sneaky or something. No, it's not. It's yeah. not. It's, it's really, it is well-intentioned. It's in the pursuit of clarity, but they are, you know, if you look at an decisions. ESV and an NIV, they might say something different and you go, What? But it's because they have come to different theological conclusions at the end. And so maybe a word needs to be different here, needs to be translated differently. Yeah. Like a different aspect of the word comes into focus. Mm -hmm. These are really small things. And you can trust your translation of the Bible. Yep. 
But we do have to remember when we're reading, we are reading through somebody else and through somebody else's theological conclusions. Yep. Absolutely. So why does it matter what we think about heaven and earth and what how it relates to Genesis 1 and how it relates to us now? Like you said that you care about this because it changes how we live our lives. But how on earth does how I read Genesis 1 change what I do today and tomorrow? Um, well, <laughs> asking the big questions. Um, I will say that there there's a lot of, before I just go start just talking out my rear, I will say <laughs> that there's a lot of questions that are unanswered for me and how this actually works in our day-to-day life. Um, I don't have this figured out by any means. And I mean, do you, what do you guys do? Yeah, can I jump in? Um, yeah. Are you, are any of you guys familiar with the idea of a telos? Mm-mm. So tel- I, I telos, know about teleological theory. Right. So telos is, is <laughs> just a Greek a Greek word, a Greek root. It's where we get our English word telescope. Um, and basically, what te- the idea of telos, and I've heard um, some, I've heard other people explain it probably better than I can. But the basic idea is that everyone has something that they are focused on. So, like if you think about a telescope, you aim it at, you aim it at like a a, a planet or a star or something like whatever mm-hmm. you've picked out that that's what I'm going to look at. Yeah. And so then when you look through the through the the, the lens of the telescope, like that's what you're gonna see. So the idea of telos for for us is like, what is the thing that you are focused on? So then when you're like out living your life, everything is coming kind of back to that central okay. thing. Okay. It's like Can if, I... so if your end, what your end goal is. So like. If we're talking about heaven, this is like after we die. If your view, your view of heaven is really important to like your what what I would think of as your talos, your your like vision, your goal, what you're focused on, because it's it's the final. I mean, it's kind of like a final reward type thing. Like if or that, or it, it conversely, like a lot of people view hell as a final punishment. Mm-hmm. Avoiding that, awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I would putting it in terms like that makes it helpful for me because I think there are a, a couple like points that I I really focus on in the Bible when I'm reading and thinking about heaven, and w- one of them is in Genesis uh, one, and uh, it goes on to like three, but it's this idea of God dwelling with people mm-hmm. and um, things being right as they're supposed to be. Um, and so God's character, the way, like his love, his his desire to be with humanity and, and seeing and there being peace with creation and humanity, basically peace with all that God created, being as one of the hallmarks of what heaven is like. Um, and then kind of seeing like that there's this rift between humanity and God and that the, the rest of the Bible is laying out this this. God who's really seeking humanity, trying to bring that back together mm-hmm. again. And so then you, that kind of leads to this idea of like when Jesus shows up on the scene and he starts telling people to pray that heaven would be that on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. So what we're going to do here, what, what, my, mis- what my mission is about is to bring 
heaven back to earth and you are all going to be conduits for that mm-hmm. and you're going to do it by the way you live yeah and that's the way like when when we read in the new testament about the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of god mm-hmm. when we read the sermon on the mount when we read the lord's prayer like that's what it's all about yeah. like that living in the jesus kingdom is about making here more like heaven yeah, heaven on earth is essentially what the kingdom of God is. And it's not this... So it gets a little bit confusing for some people because there is this idea of like already but not yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people may be familiar, familiar with that terminology. But it's this concept of like that we are living in the hope. We are living now today as though it is a reality. As though like it's something... The kingdom it's of God is at hand. Yeah, like yeah. the the fullness of it is here today, but it's not it's not completely mm-hmm. here, if that makes sense. I mean, anybody... <laughs> I mean, if this is, like, what, what it's supposed to be, like, this is heaven here, then, you know, there's some problems there. <laughs> yeah, 2020 doesn't feel like heaven. Yeah, well, but you see, but I think an important thing to highlight here is there are moments in our lives or, like, we see other people living. We see moments where it's almost like there are cracks in the seams of and and we see glimmers of heaven coming through and so i think that's something really important to highlight too and so yeah when i'm when i'm speaking i'm using the words heaven i'm talking about a presence of god being realized with us Mm, yeah yeah that makes sense you guys have anything to add to that yeah i think it's really interesting that we like I grew, I probably learned the Lord's Prayer when I was six at the at the oldest. I might have had it memorized before that. I just can't remember. I remember the theme of the VBS I learned how to I learned it at was a camping VBS. But I don't remember what year it was. <laughs> <laughs> because we had this fake little campfire uh, in this room with AstroTurf and we sat around it and memorized the Lord's Prayer. And I also learned the I am a CH song. Ah yes. Yep, yep. yep, I know that one. Yep. yep, that's how I learned how to spell the word Christian. Um, but we learn the Lord's Prayer and we say on earth as it is in heaven, like may your will be done, like Father God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think we just say it so much that we forget that it means something. Mm. Like what would it actually mean if we sought in our daily lives to walk in a way that we were pursuing God's will being mm. done on earth as it is in heaven. Or post on Facebook in a way. Right. Nah. <laughs> That's being real. Yeah, I don't know how, I don't know how all you guys far, walk, huh? but, uh, <laughs> but I know how I can post on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I totally resonate with that. And it's interesting to me that... Um, you know, in the midst of that. So we're talking about God's character being realized on earth and how we are supposed to be vessels of that becoming reality. We forget that things like, we somehow think that like social justice and justice like in God's name and like being a part of God's character are like not even related to each other whatsoever. But like social justice is not a political category, but it's a, it's a category of God's character. Yeah. I think is really important when we're talking about the realization of heaven on earth um i think that's really important to talk about 
Yeah, I think for me, like when I think about the church, I think that's one of the unique strengths of the church. It's, and that's what I want to see the church be. I want to see the church be a place that's way more like heaven than earth. That when you go there, that there's unity, that there's peace, there's the presence of God, that there is unity and like love, and that it just feels otherworldly. Mm-hmm. Because I think the church can be that. Like, I think that when you gather together people who are striving to live out this on earth as it is in heaven, you can have these communities that feel different. And that's attractive. You know, that's beautiful. And when you, like, when when we talk about heaven, we're not thinking about it like this dingy, ugly thing. Mm. And so when we, as the church can build up the church so that it's not recognized for being divisive and being like argumentative and being like policing things and all these like you have to be clean and tidy and moral and and all this stuff but when the church is actually recognized for being like set apart and full of love and reflective of the character of god like that's special Yeah. So there's a lot more that we can unpack about kind of this idea of heaven and earth. And I'm sure we're going to come back to it because some of the things that we've touched on also touch on Gnosticism and they touch on, you know, we'll talk about cosmic janitor Jesus at some point. Just just go Google it. (laughs) (laughs) But I just kind of want to shift gears and ask, this is totally not related to heaven and earth, but this episode is kind of a grab bag. Um, how has having kids changed how has being a parent changed how you see god has being a parent changed how you see god i think i was thinking of i was thinking about this that's a really good question because i feel like during because kai is almost two years old so effectively almost three years of like knowing that we were parents um and in that time, my view of God has changed dramatically. I don't know if I would have recognized at any point that it was because of the fact that I had this new identity of being mm-hmm. a parent. I think that it almost certainly did. It's hard to parse that out, though, I think. I, I do think that my view of, like, I don't know. Mm. My view of things like God's judgment and his discipline and th- and like his love for us like a lot of those things maybe took on a new dimension. Um but I don't think I would have I, I even now I don't think I recognize anything that's like I had this experience as a parent and then I from that point on, I just never saw God the same way. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any of those experiences that I've had. Um, but I'm, I'm sure, like, it's such a significant part of my life being a parent that, like, surely it's it has been an influence and a, a major player in my spiritual journey. Um, but I don't think I'd, I could put a finger on this is something that certainly has changed. Yeah. This is something that I can, like, du- make a direct link and say... Because of Kai, because of Judith, I now see God differently in yeah. this specific way. I'd say I see fatherhood differently. And 
like my view has evolved on it and by and because for some reason unless i like actively like in making the association i don't naturally just think about god as my father in a sense that that makes i don't know if that makes sense Mm -hmm. but i do think but because like fatherhood is very i'm very close to that right now that has changed and so then by turn whenever like i do read passages or i do think about god being my father like and then I, th- I i like think about it a little bit differently because my sh- my view of fatherhood has changed yeah i think that that's kind of where this question comes from for me is i've been thinking a lot about like we're in a really fun season with our kids like jude is six months old and she's eating and enjoying food for the first time um kai is about to turn two and he just loves to play and read and talk and just engage with us Mm -hmm. and be with us and they love each other they have so much fun playing with and making each other laugh like they are so much fun and i just have been thinking about so much that that i delight in them that i love them and so it's been making me think about the way that Sometimes my kids do stuff that is so cute that I just go, oh, and I don't know what to do. I feel it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And to think, does God feel that way about me? Mm -hmm. Oh, you're just so cute. (laughs) (laughs) It feels a little sacrilegious. Embrace the sacrilege. But he is our father who delights in us. I I think this is the thing that, like, it is... yeah, it's a very natural thing to think of a like a deity has to be so far separate from us that to say things like that to say like God would think that we're cute, like to say things like that is sacrilege. But you have to think like in uh, throughout Scripture, the the biblical writers are pretty comfortable using these very like intimate human relationship words as the way that they identify God and his relationship with with them. So like if they were blushing, they would not repeatedly refer to God or Jesus as a bridegroom, as mm-hmm. a husband. Like yeah. If they were like worried about sacrilege or blasphemy, they wouldn't use that because like I mean, you It's the only imagery we have to work with. So it's like we only can describe things in terms that we're familiar with. Yeah. And I think the the use of father and and husband and the, the the use of those familial languages I think is a kind of an invitation and a freedom to say things like yeah to totally like, to explore well what does that mean that God is my father does it mean that he thinks that sometimes mm-hmm. the things we do are so cute and he's just like so I proud can... of us like I think there's an invitation to explore that and to to I don't know to think of God that way, to think of him like just so like just loving his kids to the point where he just can't like he, he just has to tell uh, it's, it, the analogy does break down at a certain point, but he just has to tell everybody about his kids. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he's got a wallet picture. Right. He's got him on his cell phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's funny I, when I think about like Ezra was like eating some foods today and uh, we like gave him some pasta, whatever. And he was like getting it all over his face and he was just going crazy with it. And, uh, you know, that's cute. But 
I just immediately then picture like whenever I'm like stuffing my face with like pizza, God, <laughs> imagining God going, oh my cute. gosh, he's it's, so cute. No, no, it's less cute. <laughs> he's like, like, dude, get your life together. <laughs> but like when you're really enjoying, like, like if you go out to dinner and you get something amazing and you're really like enjoying that experience the same way that ezra is enjoying yeah, his like, supermarket no, pasta like you're tapping that like hard top off a of creme brulee yeah like. and god's oh just like yeah, yeah yeah that's what i gave you those taste buds for yes savor that yes that's what i mean that's what i root for jude i'm like yeah you show that broccoli who's boss <laughs> like enjoy it savor it yeah and you know bringing it back i think that's one like that's one way that heaven on earth is realized because of our like familial connection with God. If we have that type of like intimacy with him and we see like our lives as though like God is a father like interacting with us and like watching us and and like he's with us like in our happiness and our joy, then that's going to like affect the way we live our lives because like whenever it's already happening like when Ezra does anything he immediately looks up at me to like see if I'm watching like he wants to know that I'm there and I see him and so if we have that type of like connection with our heavenly father then it's going to affect the way because we know that he's watching us and that he sees us and I guess he could take that like one of two ways <laughs> I guess what well, and that's kind of related to the other side of this that I've been thinking a lot about um just like with having Kai he's almost two so we mm-hmm. you know he's much more of a person than a newborn is like not that newborns aren't people obviously I don't believe that but he has his own personality and he listens to what we say and he hears and he's very absorbent of the things that are going on around him. Mm. Like he's such a sponge, especially right now that like I am always really intentional about what I say around him Mm. in that I will not speak badly about him or complain about him or I I guess like, I, I just don't talk down. I don't talk him down. Um, Mm -hmm. to like other parents like even like if we have a really rough night and nobody sleeps I don't tell that to another parent in front of him I don't say yeah Kai just kept me up all night long and I'm just so tired because I know that he hears that and I know that he's taking that in Mm -hmm. and I, I know that on the flip side when I talk him up when when I speak positively about him Like, I watch him react to that. Like, when I start talking about, like, well, he's been really enjoying his books lately. Like, when someone comes over and asks what, you know, what he likes to play or someone's going to be watching him. He really likes his books. I notice that I'm not talking to him. I'm not talking directly to him. But he'll go over and start to, like, pick up his books and start to read them. And and he really is listening. Mm -hmm. And so... I've been thinking about this in the way that we talk about our kids as like little sinners. We kind of have this language in the church that, you know, our kids are these little sinners who we have to discipline and get them to be not like that anymore. I've just been thinking about that a lot. I don't know. Is that something that you guys have ever even interacted with? Well, it kind of goes along with just the... uh, It's definitely something I've heard 
people say. It's probably something I've said and thought before also. Um, it, it just, it comes from kind of a certain understanding of sin that like, especially the idea of original sin, that because of Adam's sin, now every human that is born is born with a sin nature. I'm using air quotes. Kind of sin nature, yeah. Because like, mm-hmm. every every human is born with a sin nature. Whatever, whatever like you think, whatever we can parse down what that means. Um, but the, and, and then there's this kind of sub subcategory of that thinking that is like <laughs> the kids are these little sin monsters <laughs> that um, yeah that just are are these uncontrolled like they just can't the help worst themselves. Ver- right. yeah the worst versions of humanity just I mean put in these little bodies <laughs> I once heard in like a message and this was not at our church but like this was a teaching on parenting that if you gave a kid a gun and you went into their room in the middle of the night and they were screaming in their crib, they would shoot you if they knew how to use guns. And I'm like, like that's something that was told to me that was a bit like, this is how we understand sin nature in children, that they are just evil and angry when they're crying and they're throwing tantrums. It's just pure anger and sin. And for me, I was really, I was really wrestling with that because I was like, how do I think about my son and talk about my son and raise my son if my understanding of his behavior is that he is motivated by sin? Like he has this sin in him that just drives him mm. to do... Like that temper tantrum was just because he's a sinner and I need to get that sin out of him. Or under control. Or, or under control. You know, yeah. Instead of empathizing with him and saying, and, and saying, why are you crying? Why are you freaking out? What's going on that you don't understand why i don't understand why you're freaking out but you don't understand something either so i was recognizing in myself that that kind of that little sinner theology was almost just an excuse to just put tantrums away not have to deal with it like Mm -hmm. i don't have to work do the hard work of relating to someone who doesn't speak the same language that i speak fluently when I just say, well, your tantrum is not my problem. It's your sin problem. So I actually, I reached out to a former high school teacher of mine who is now a Lutheran minister. So actually when we, Tyler and I, sat down back at the beginning of this podcast, we made a list of guests who we really wanted to have on. And you had a high school teacher of yours, and I had a high school teacher of mine, Mr. Zeely. And Mr. Zeely is now Pastor Matt, to his congregations uh, and lives in Washington state and is a minister in the Lutheran church. And so I reached out to him because he has a son who is three. And I wanted to know like from a different denominational perspective, what did he think about this issue? So I have a fairly lengthy quote here, a couple of quotes that I'm gonna read that kind of distill down what he was talking to me about. So I'm just going to read them. I want my son to understand that sin names a failure in us, but it is not an explanation or an excuse, but a description of a tendency or an act that is not our primary and fundamental identity. So I reject total depravity or this view that children are fundamentally little sinners that must be conditioned and trained to perform certain tasks. Coerced virtue is not virtue. 
St. Augustine writes a lot about this in the Confessions. A good that is forced is not a good. So we can lead and model and teach our children. But I am poised that, thank, that spanking the sin out of kids, as some conservative Christians seem to see it, is not helpful. Sin is a description of a condition, never an explanation of, or justification for behavior. So sin is why, so sin isn't why kids throw a tantrum. Sin only names their propensity for tantrums. That's a fundamental and traditional theological distinction. So no, I don't consider my son a little sinner, nor have I ever referred to him as a little sinner. Saint and sinner? Maybe. Saint in training? I have told him that, I think. And he concludes by saying that it's his desire to help his son grow into his identity as a saint and a member of the body of Christ in union with Christ and with all the people of God who have walked before us that motivates him through discipline, training, and parenting. Not the idea that he needs to reform his little sinner of a son. Hmm. And I just was helped by that a lot. That it's not my responsibility as a parent to reform a little sinner but to encourage and yes discipline Mm. a saint in training towards godliness yeah and what that also assumes like calling your children little sinners it it assumes that somehow you've gotten so far or that you have you have worked all of your propensity for evil out of you and the truth is, like all of us are, we have, we have tendencies and we're going to have moments of weakness and failure, but those things don't define us. Yeah. But um, I don't think that God as our father sees us as the, in the identity no, of sinner. No, absolutely not. And so how do we then as parents responsibly see our children or speak about our children mm-hmm. with that identity? I don't think it's, I was just having a hard time with it, so... That's that. We can move on to the next. Let's move on to the next thing. Uh, this is my last thing. Um, we're recording this really late at night. So late for us. It's like nine. That's really late for me. But uh, I had a friend of the podcast who wrote in to me. Like she sent me a message and asked me to talk about this. She wants us to talk about like how the church practices scripture in relationship to women. Um, So I'm just going to read what she said. She said, my number one question for any biblical scholar or pastor is this. Is it possible that the instruction God wants us to have concerning some of Paul's comments about women is that even Paul made made mistakes or choices that were inconsistent with the rest of scripture? I'm going to let you guys talk before I talk because I I don't want to show my hand too much here, but I would like to get your perspective. Do you think that Paul... I guess, do you think that Paul is sexist? No. Um, I would say no. And I would... So, this is still something that's pretty fresh for me as far as, I mean, just complete 
honesty because I mean so I don't know maybe I'm not the best person to talk about <laughs> um, but so there's a, a book that I I was reading um, probably two years ago now um, it wasn't I'm trying to remember what it was actually called I'm really glad that you can edit is it the Pete Enns book yes what's it called Oh. Yes, so it is. Yeah, it was it was in some kids' song. Yeah, um, so I read uh, a couple years ago. I read uh, Pete Enns' book, uh, "The Bible Tells Me So," and it was one of the most difficult books for me to read. And it was I realized that it had touched a nerve with me, and I don't necessarily agree agree with Pete on everything and and kind of the way he addresses uh, people who who do believe differently than him. Um, but it definitely did touch nerve with me. And a lot of what he talks about in there is just how um, God gives humanity freedom. And in doing that, we see the fingerprints of humanity in the Bible. And sometimes from our perspective, like that morality is like a project. It is a human project that God has given us. And so when we see things like entire groups of people being like slaughtered in the name of God, these are um, interpretations of like these are things happening to a group of people, them contributing it to God, still writing it down, God allowing it to be in his Bible. And then and for some reason, like this, this is just really raw for me, because when I read those things, like for some reason I had neglected to really address them in my mind and in my heart and this does tie into I think later things we see just on maybe a different level we can kind of there are things that we like to gloss over and not really see as issues and find a way to maybe explain them away or 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 something like that but we have to be aware of the context that all of the passages in scripture take place that what is the backdrop that Paul or any other biblical author is making the statements and saying the things that they're saying. Because that changes the way we hear what they're actually saying. And so when Paul makes these comments about women, we aren't sitting in the room with him. We're not sitting um, among the group of people that he was writing to specifically. Um, We're not a part of that culture that had a certain way of viewing women in the first place. And so I think it's really important for us to take a step back before we just say, I'm just going to lift this verse, I'm going to take it, I'm just going to apply it directly. And I'm also then going to make assumptions about Paul, the way Paul and thus God views women or um, other people. Just, you know, point to any passage. Yeah, I think even like we can bring this back to what we were talking about earlier about heaven. Like when I look at Genesis 1 and I insert, you know, pearly gates and fluffy clouds to heavens, I misinterpret what the Bible is trying to to say and show me. And so when I read, you know, the Pauline epistles, when I read the letters that Paul wrote, and I insert what I think it says, or I insert my cultural understanding, or I insert my thing that I think about women into the text, I make it say something it doesn't say. So... You don't think that Paul is sexist? Oh, man, that's a 
feels like a loaded question. <laughs> I don't think that Paul is sexist. Yeah, like... Yeah, I don't think he is either. It's not a hard question to answer. I think when we look at the person of Paul, like we see that he celebrates his female coworkers. We see that he, like he had Phoebe deliver deliver the letter to the Romans. Like that's no small task to ask a woman to travel halfway across the like the it wasn't the known world, but like she went from. It would have been a thousand miles, at least, from where she was at Sentry. I think that's how you pronounce that. I don't know. Uh, to Rome. Um, she would have had to charter her uh, passage on a ship. She would have had to do all these things just to get to Rome. And then getting there, she had to deliver this letter to read it and to explain it to the congregations and the house churches in Rome. That's no small task. Mm-mm. No. Paul didn't think she was a slouch. He respected her and sent her. And I think that when we look at, you know, the verses in Paul's letters where he talks about, like, women should be silent in church. Um, women should pray with their heads covered. Um, women should A woman should learn in all submission. I do not permit her to speak. When we look at those passages, I think that we have been too long guilty of inputting our own culture onto them. I think that our honestly even some of our commentaries you know some of our commentaries some of our teachers some of our leaders um have instead of hearing paul's perspective they have put their cultural understanding of women and women's roles onto what those passages are saying and so i would say no i don't think that paul is sexist i think that many of the people who have taught the Bible over the past nearly 2,000 years have had a set of beliefs about women and women's place in society and with that understanding have misinterpreted scripture in a way that has allowed sexism to continue in a way that has... Like, I mean, is Paul, like... Like, you can't say that like you can't you can't make a case that race that racism is biblical because Paul is okay with slavery. Like Paul, there's a whole letter about how a slave's master should treat his slave. The mm-hmm. letter of Philemon is written to a man who owns another man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, a lot of people have. There's some people that aren't actually aware that that's what it's about, and then there's some people that it really bothers them that that. But exists. none of <laughs> us would dare make a case. That because there is a letter in the New Testament mm. where Paul writes to a slave master about his slave, therefore it is okay for there to be masters and slaves. No one would dare say that today, Mm-mm. as they should not, because we understand, like that's not reflective of the Imago Dei about the theology of the image of God. And I think that we're getting there in the church on this issue with women, and I think that there's still a long way to go on this um issue with the church not just with women but like Mm -hmm. right now we're in the middle of the black lives matter movement and so obviously we're having a bit of a cultural reckoning in that area but i think that as the church we're beginning to see that the imago day has implications for women in leadership in the church Mm -hmm. and that i don't think that paul is a sexist and i don't think that his i don't think that those texts disqualify women from leadership 
Yeah. But I appreciated that. I'm not going to say her name in, in case she's not comfortable with me doing that. But I appreciated that this friend of the show reached out and wanted, you know, our perspective on that. And yeah. Thank you so much for um, just being willing to ask and and for asking us. We really, really do appreciate it. And I know that for a lot of women, myself included, like working through these things comes from a place of hurt, not a place of wholeness. Um, and I have come, like I have, these are scriptures that I've been looking at for years. Like as I have been walking with Christ, I come back to them again and again, just asking like, Spirit, what do you have for us as a church? What do you have for us here? What is your desire? But and so, you know, some of those have been seasons of wholeness and some of those have been seasons of hurt where I'm just asking, like, what is it that you want? What does this mean? Like, what did Paul, what was Paul saying? What are you saying? Um, and so I know that when women ask these questions, it's not coming from like this theoretical place of are women allowed to preach, teach, etc. It's coming, it's often coming from this very vulnerable, like very vulnerable place of I'm afraid that I have a teaching gift and I don't know what that means. And I came from that place, you know, I not very long ago thought that there was something wrong with me because I had man gifts. Like I was like, I had these gifts of teaching and leadership that the spirit gave me. And then I was like, what the heck do you want me to do with this if I'm not allowed to use it? Hmm. Like, why did you, how, did, how, how can a good God give me something that I'm not allowed to use and just let it burn in me? And I had to work through that, and I don't think that he does. And so I know that I'm not the only woman who's ever had to deal with that. I know that this woman has had to deal with that in a very different context. You know, she is not of our generation. She's not a peer to us in our age. Um, and so it wouldn't have been easy for her you know navigating her culture the american culture before now you know i I, i'm i'm thankful that she wanted to talk about it yeah and it's it's definitely uh deserves to be talked about um there um, are a lot of people out there that have been uh he had just taught the wrong thing or taught in a very unhealthy way that's that's harmful to people too so i i just want to make sure that i'm encouraging anybody out there who's uh, just felt uh, hurt or um